And then let's see. Today mm-hmm. is Wednesday. We're hopefully releasing this tomorrow. Oh, yeah. uh, that means that two days ago, I left a, a business card on someone's car windshield because they had a neat I Heart Bigfoot bumper sticker. So I thought, oh, nice. I will put a podcast business card on their windshield and that'll be fine. So if that was you and you're listening now, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome yeah. to Super Duperstitious, the paranormal podcast about, about the, the science, science of the strange. Of that. Well, I, thought I, I did the do- whole thing. He's okay. Jake, I'm Wyatt. I'm doing it all today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're, we're getting back into the groove again of doing this whole show for you. Uh, last week we kind of stumbled our way into remembering how any of it works. I now recall the you're the beard one, I'm the glasses one. So That's right. I'm caught up now, I think. Yes, we're, th- at least for this time of year. True. Later on it will be simply glasses, no glasses. That's right. That you know about. Who knows, maybe I secretly wear <laughs> some old Coke bottles or whatever they call them. Yep. What are we doing here today, Jake? Today we are, we are doing the doing show where we talk about <laughs> spooky, strange, uh, unexplained things from a scientific perspective. And in, in particular, we are uh, looking at a suggestion by listener Chase. Thank you, Chase. Thank you, Chase. We're talking about space stuff, out of space. That's right. He uh, messaged us back in June, so, you know, timing. And included in his message that he was on episode 96 at the time of our very professional program, <laughs> in which we clearly know what we're doing. <laughs> Little that did his personal know. favorite was the spacey one, and he was wondering if he could, he could hear more on those kinds of things. Yeah, so yes. The answer is yes, and here's that. We're doing it. <laughs> so as I understand it today, Jake, you'll be talking about something, and then I'll be talking about something. That's right. (laughs) All right. Cool. I'm going to jump right on in. Do it. Today, I'm taking us on a journey around our solar system with a very unique individual whom the internet unintentionally introduced me to. I'll begin with some recent news from just a few weeks back. In fact, we're talking June 15th, 2020. Whoa. And we're talking an article entitled... Alien city found on moon in NASA photo. UFO sighting news. 100% proof of existence of aliens. I mean, that sounds pretty convincing to begin with, but tell me more. (laughs) Uh, I'll begin reading the article. It says, quote, I found a structure in a NASA moon photo the other day, and I decided to highlight it with yellow to make it more visible to others. (laughs) Then I saw another, then another. I held onto the photo for a few days, highlighting a new building every so often because my eyes needed a break. It takes a lot of focus and patience to see the things in the black and white photo correctly. It's hard, even for me. That's why I highlighted the structures. What does all this mean? It means we are not alone in the universe and never were. It means there are intelligent species out there, but they are keeping their distance or they are hiding themselves among us, making a Hmm. profit from us. There are some incredible structures I found (laughs) here. Unnecessary detail, but carry on. (laughs) (laughs) There are some incredible structures I found here. About 40, but I did see many more. But the details were so poor on these, I decided to leave them alone. Check out the alien ships at the top center of the photo. Mind-blowing and 100% proof of what I say being true. Please help me out by sharing these photos and videos. I work hard, but I work for free. I do this to help humanity raise their level of awareness of those things around them. Mm-hmm. Scott C. Waring. Wow. Now, Wyatt, you deserve to see what he's talking about. As I would does love to. the rest of the world. So first, here's the NASA photo in question. Okie dokie. It is moon. Looking like the moon. Uh, let me see if I can 
pretty close up as yeah. far as uh, my own eyeballs are concerned. You can get in there and look around some. There's a very blurry thing down in the left corner. That is part of the actual uh, orbiter itself out of focus oh, in the front. And then okay. there's a bunch of... Lots of craters as one might expect. Yeah, it's pretty neat. It is pretty neat. That is that. So do you see the alien city? Uh, Yes. Okay, cool. So you don't need any additional highlighting to kind of focus on that at all? No. Okay, well, no, I'll, it's I'll link obvious. to the image for, for listeners of uh, the highlighted parts that, that is are the alien city. Uh, there's a little gingerbread man. <laughs> and this is the gingerbread stuff. man is real, though. <laughs> yes. And yeah, there's a bunch of uh, of stuff you highlighted yellow. So what that's was the thing. he looking for? <laughs> So, um, convince me harder, daddy. <laughs> uh, Scott C. Waring is a very curious man. He's not content to just listen to whatever bullshit NASA wants to feed us about outer space. He knows the truth, and all he wants to do is get that information out there to everyone. Mm-hmm. No more cover ups, no more lies. For example, here's his coverage of a bunch of other alien structures on the moon's surface, which he found in this handy lunar orbiter photo gallery that I will link to. I can't wait to see this. Um, I'll, I'll get to the pictures in a minute. I'll read his explanation first. Okay. He says, I call this set of 200 plus moon photos the Kraken file. And for good reason. It's not it's cracking something, me up. <laughs> exactly. It's not something you want to set loose, but rather something you are forced to set loose. Good Lord, this guy. <laughs> if you have read my book, UFO Sightings of 2006 to 2009, which I don't recommend doing, <laughs> inexplicably his words not mine <laughs> those were his words <laughs> those are his words uh, wow. you would hear mentioned that there are some long black buildings on the moon in old lunar orbiter photos they're in such detail that it can unnerve a person who is unfamiliar with the fact that moon structures exist Golly. if these photos upset you I apologize I post them only to heighten your awareness of the world around you you know he's just doing he's, he's leaning too hard on the old reverse psychology button mm-hmm. is what he's doing here he's like you can't possibly read my my book it's too horribly <laughs> true <laughs> um it would destroy you that's exactly what he's getting at so he wants to heighten the our awareness of the world around us and also of the moon around us i guess these structures <laughs> are spread out and in different locations i believe that these buildings cannot be seen in current moon photos because nasa has used photoshop to cover them up mm-hmm. or perhaps the orbiter satellite had a lens filter that only allows it to see in uv or some other spectrum beyond that of the human eye I, personally, am certain that it has nothing to do with modern cameras producing fewer artifacts or the fact that high-resolution imaging reveals a complete dearth of buildings on the moon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He goes on, These structures came directly from the lunar orbiter, then to NASA, and then somehow made its way to the International Astronomical Union, a working group for planetary system nomenclature, the WGPSN. Uh, it is indeed a total mystery how these public domain satellite images might find their way to a group that focuses on space stuff. Mm-hmm. He says these photos have not been made uh, have not been made by CGI computer generated imaging, but were taken by NASA's lunar orbiter, making their source indisputable and undebunkable. To misrepresent NASA images is against the law, and I respect their rule. They are what they are. Mm-hmm. So he's saying that these are the images that they are, and they're not doctored at all. They do sound like CGI to me, though, which in this case would be conspiracy-generated ideation. But <laughs> carry on. Right. He also um, just said that he thinks that NASA is doctoring their photos now, 
but then is saying that NASA um, can't. Like, it's against the law to do that. So that's what? cool. Uh, I also need to refer yeah. to this other quote of his regarding NASA from a different article of his entitled mm-hmm. "100% Indisputable Proof Alien Cities Exist on Earth's Moon." Photos, UFO sighting news. An article which I might add is based entirely on photos from the same web page I was just reading from. <laughs> he says, "quote in, in this article, he says, quote, I used to believe in NASA, uh, held them up on a pedestal with the highest of admiration, but then I discovered they lied to us, and I can never respect someone that lies to your face. You decide <laughs> for yourself. Don't let anyone else decide for you. Just uh, so do, we're totally do, clear on his stance regarding NASA. Yeah, do your do your own research, as as they say. Yes." Wow. Okay. Carry All right. On. Uh, I will link to the full page of his examples of structures on the moon. But for now, I just want to focus on a few representative examples. He puts a mm-hmm. lot of focus on some multiple kilometers long, thin rectangular buildings. Uh, mm-hmm. I will scroll through a bit of those with you, and then uh, we'll uh, take it from there. All right. Sounds good. Here are some of the structures he's talking about. Ah. These rectangles. Uh, that is but- admittedly a stranger looking thing. It is. But you can see there's a bunch of them and uh, and a bunch of photos. And there's a lot of photos on this thing. Like I'm just blasting through a bunch. You can see there's just right. a it's ton. Many, many aerial shots for listeners who are not at their computer currently. Tons and tons of grayscale, typical sort of standard staring down at the moon from, what would this be, something orbiting the moon at this point? Or landing yes, the or lunar orbiter. Orbiter and a uh, ton of craters. But we are, every so often have what looks like a magnified pencil lead from an automatic pencil if you will yes um sort of <laughs> across exactly the screen like. <laughs> um and uh it is it is baffling in that regard because it is extremely linear extremely clean and gray and it is an alien structure <laughs> that's the biggest standout to me is the fact that it is an alien structure now uh something i do want to first point out as far as there are a couple of weird things about this the buildings frequently appear among a series of lines in the photo Mm -hmm. and are exactly parallel to those lines Mm -hmm. so that's something Mm -hmm. another issue which you see in this one and in the second photo i'll show you is that those structures happen to end exactly where the composited images end that are all stitched together to make the full yes, lunar surface. Starting to feel like an artifact, if you will, mm-hmm. of the image processing itself. Curious you might say that, because that's what I was thinking too. Uh, <laughs> one more thing about these, these buildings on the moon is that they are translucent. You can see partly through them and they are not really affected at all by any form of topography they can just even hover in many cases right over craters which you can see through them (laughs) well this is i can i can counter argue that ridiculous suggestion right here which is that alien civilizations alien technology as we all know highly advanced by definition Mm -hmm. by definition is translucent can do these things <laughs> and is not affected by topography because aliens is what they are <laughs> you can also see in this one the uh the light seam of where the stitched together images uh fall and that's where the edge of the I don't care magic alien building scenes. is <laughs> <laughs> um, again these photos are taken by nasa's lunar orbiter in august of 1966 also this is something I didn't realize until I was just linking to these individual example photos I wanted to mm. keep in the show notes. 
Uh, holy shit, the image tags on the share links for these photos. I'm going to read you Please one of do. them. Please do. Yeah, what are we working with here? The URL just goes on and on and on with a bunch of different image tags. And uh, so here we have um, suspense, thriller, video games, women, naked, nude, vampire, fantasy, romance, science, classic, rock. It just keeps going on and on and holy on. Crap. Erotic, comics, romance, cooking, con- uh, Kindle, Historical, <laughs> spirituality, <laughs> poetry, lyrics, music. Wow, it just keeps going. Astronomy. This is really the content for moon, everyone. Lunar, Luna, Telescope, Crater, .jpg. Um, <laughs> this other one has uh, Mothership, all this stuff. Like this one, I think, says uh, somewhere, it says like um, Kanye West, uh, Kim Kardashian, nude, naked, sex. Are you uh, kidding Lindsay me? Lindsay Lohan, Rihanna, sexy. Brad Pitt, top secret technology, all things just added in as image tags, I think, with the intent of just making these show up in more searches. So people right. will, so just to get it out there more. He's really, really adamant that people know about this stuff and by so any means necessary. Non deceptive means of driving, you know, aggregation or dissemination of that content. Yes. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about is who this guy actually is. Uh, I yeah. did do some poking around to try and figure out just more about Scott C. Waring. One of the things I found in trying to look up just information about him was a complaint he sent to Google about the fact that his website was being uh, marked as fake news and buried, <laughs> and he was upset <laughs> about it. And uh, so I had to do an exhausting amount of scrolling down on one of his two websites, UFOSightingsDaily.com, second is ETDatabase.com, before mm-hmm. I found this bio, quote, Mm. Hi, my name is Scott C. Waring, and I wrote a few books, and I'm currently an ESL school owner in Taiwan. I've had my own UFO sighting up close and personal, but that's how it works, right? A non-believer becomes a believer when they experience their first sighting. You witnessed (laughs) it, your perceptual field changes, so now you need to share it. Mm. I created this site to help the UFO community get a a little bit organized. I noticed that there was a lot of chaos when searching for UFO sighting reports, so I Mm -hmm. hope this site helps. Wanted to support those eyewitnesses who have tried to tell others about what they have seen, yet were laughed at by even closest to friends. For reference, the website in question that is trying to make everything more organized uh, looks mm-hmm. like this. Ooh boy! <laughs> and so to find the, the bio, I had to go all the way down here, and here it is in this green part here. So Oh no! So for folks at home, we have, what is this, a Squarespace? This is definitely not Squarespace. <laughs> not even a Squarespace. This is like an old old school. I think it's a Blogspot, actually. Blogspot. We got two banner columns. On either side of the center. On either side of a central kind of feed column. And everything is in classic aliens green for text. The uh-huh. background, of course, is dark gray and black. Mm-hmm. It even seems to have something of a pseudo carbon fiber gray stitch kind of thing going <laughs> on that, yeah. and <laughs> the text is in a glowing oh it's aliens green <laughs> or a holy crap this is important conspiracy stuff orange yep um and pretty much it looks like probably everything is a hot link <laughs> <laughs> it does seem that way including like so i thought this is welcome i am scott c Waring. i'm a writer you teacher ufologist and a picture of him 
which I thought, oh, this must go to his bio. It actually goes to the Facebook page for this website. Jeez. So that's a thing. Look at these fucking posts, too. Everything means something. Uh-huh. He's like, look, five, a 500 internal server error. They're clearly blocking my <laughs> shit. <laughs> so he goes on. More and more each day, the governments of the world leak bits and pieces of UFO information to the public. They have a trickle-down theory in hopes of slowly getting citizens used to the idea that we are not alone in the universe and never have been. The truth is being leaked drop by drop until one day we look around and find ourselves neck high in it. Oh no. The discovery of alien species in existence is the most monumental scientific event in human history. Suppression of that information is a crime against humanity. About me. I live in Taiwan. I'm an ESL teacher. Born in Hollywood, California. I'm a former U.S. Air Force at... USAF at Sacramento base, I think, flight line, age 42. I'm not sure how often he updates that. Education, bachelor's in elementary ed, master's in counseling ed. I had two hmm. UFO sightings, 30-plus bus-sized orbs in the military, and in 2012, personally saw the UFO over Taipei 101 building on New Year's Day and recorded it. Wow. Mm-hmm. That is his whole bio. And I feel like we know him pretty well now, right? Pretty much. He is an ESL teacher who is bored. <laughs> there it is. If we don't feel like we know him enough, we can hear from him directly here. So let me just go to this. Uh, Please do. Here's him in his own words. Also, I do believe he dropped the N from his last name and the unspiracy from his middle name. <laughs> he did. Uh, here is him Turn in his down. own words talking some serious truth about Mars. Oh, no. This image. Come on. Hello, everyone. This is Scott C. Warren of UFOSightingsDaily.com. I want to show you a pocket knife on Mars I found. Now, this pocket knife is between one and one and a half feet long. So you found a pocket knife on Mars. And as you see, I compare it to a... It's also one and one and a half feet to uh, one to one and a half feet long, which suggests very large pocket pockets. You know, the <laughs> in the dirt, uh, at a campsite or stuff. I mean, I've done that. I found it. So, I mean, that kind of stuff is normal for me. I used to find arrowheads, Indian arrowheads that were over a thousand years old. I mean, I, I'm always looking for it so I could find these things. It's kind of interesting. Now, look at a larger picture of this. This is the pocket knife. Uh, it is very large. See the curved handle? You see the little notch over here? And the long blade right here. Uh, this is a sharp side here, point, oh boy. and a thicker side here. Okay, that's very similar to to the other other uh, oh, picture I have man. here. Now the other picture is quite quite unique too. Uh, let me close this for a minute. Uh, so here is the original at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Kind of cool. I'll put the link in the bottom of the description. You see the knife up here and some other rocks and objects nearby. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, you can see better and compare it to a real knife. Now, look at right here is this part, this notch is the same notch they have here. Really amazing discovery, I thought. And imagine how big the hand must be of this alien to hold a knife with a handle that's a foot and a half long. Okay, so that's a big hand. Okay, we're talking about... <laughs> so we're talking about a person that's That is right. That is a good... That is a good question. Four meters tall. That's pretty tall right there. Or taller than that even. So it's absolutely amazing that uh, a dropped weapon or a dropped useful tool 
has been found on Mars, and I just wanted to report this to you. Uh, it's here oh, at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Please like and subscribe if you like this video, and I'll try to make more for you very soon. All right, I'll see you again later at UFO Sightings Daily. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Well, I have to admit, it makes me feel sad. <laughs> It makes me feel really sad. <laughs> um, yes, what you're hearing Scott do with apparently all of his very sweet heart is describe coincidence. Mm-hmm. There's some rocks on Mars. It's rocks. They look kind of like a jackknife, a, uh, maybe a Swiss Army knife. He found a picture of one that looked like that and was like, hey, see, it's the same thing. And it's you can exactly hear as same. he's saying it, he's not like freaking out. Like there's, you can't, it's not like frothing at the mouth. Like, oh, this is what they're hiding from you. It's really just like, oh, look at this thing I found. Isn't that yeah. cool? It's a pretty like low key just, oh, this is, this is what's happening out there. This is pretty cool. Oh man. Oh man. So what is the point of all of this? I don't bring all this up to just dunk on one guy for an entire segment. That's not fun or cool. And it certainly isn't an appropriate use of our time here. We're not just here to shit on people if we can avoid it. <laughs> but the reason I want to talk about Scott Z. Waring is in part because I just, in looking for some stories this week, just found a lot of stuff about him because he's been in recent news. And he's been in a mm -hmm. lot of different news programs, like on TV, like all across real? the U.S. Wow. I want to instead focus on the kind of story that comes up the most often when we try to look into outer space stuff. And I think it's part of the reason why we don't do so very often. I mean, the episode that Chase cited as his favorite was the one where we discussed Oumuamua, which was episode 56, Ooh. which was more than a year ago. <laughs> Oumuamua, thank you. Um, uh, in that episode, I told a similar story in that it was something truly bizarre that somebody wholeheartedly believed and badly wished to convince others of. Mm. The way I see it, this most often falls into one of two categories. In that episode, it was what I will call a category JACF story. That's Joanna Ashtar Command Fantasy. Uh, today, we're in the second category, which is just kind of over-the-top conspiracy theory, or it's, it's really kind of a combination of the two. Um, so you have either just full-on fantasy or super conspiracy theory, like very elaborate conspiracy theory. Right. We cover all kinds of conspiracy stuff on this show, whether they're about aliens or not, and one thing comes up every time. The question why right so why if nasa was trying to cover up all this evidence of civilizations on other worlds would they publicly release the photos showing it it's not like this organized government agency staffed by expert scientists is just too stupid to check photos before posting them well they're too busy scrubbing all the uh, buildings away they forgot <laughs> the little tiny tools yes and by little tiny i do mean gigantic two-foot-long <laughs> pocket knives which at this point are just, I mean, no longer pocket knives. I'm trying to think of a better word for it. Anime swords. <laughs> Anime swords. But yeah, it's, it's not like they just don't know what's there before they post it. It's not like they also yeah. don't look at them with an incredible amount of scrutiny. Uh, to wearing suggesting that they now Photoshop out the images that include the different mm. buildings on the moon, for example. Mm. Why would NASA go through the trouble of doing that when they could much more easily not release the photos at all? Mm -hmm. We don't know what photos they do and don't have, so no one would be any of the wiser if they just like, oh, there's there's a building in this one. Let's not let's not post this one. Uh, a bigger yeah, question, true. a bigger question outside of this one we've discussed before as well. 
Why would NASA cover any of this up to begin with? NASA's budget has been steadily plummeting since its peak during the space race in the mid-60s. Mm-hmm. At its very highest in 1966, coincidentally, which is when the lunar um, orbiter that he used photos from was launched, their budget was 4.41% of the federal budget. By comparison, it is now at 0.48% of the federal budget. Mm. Uh, meanwhile, finding evidence of off-world civilizations would be arguably the biggest discovery in all of human history. <laughs> I mean, Scott <laughs> yeah. said it himself. So ignoring the fact that scientists typically don't want to hide cool discoveries for any amount of time longer than the time it takes for a press release, and ignoring how impossibly difficult it would be for that many people to stay that quiet for that long, <laughs> ignoring all that, a discovery of this magnitude would be, if nothing else, a guarantee of considerable budgetary priority for, like, forever, pretty much. Oh, my God. It's also, it's the kind of news that is beyond all borders. This is literally getting back to just Earth versus the rest of the entire universe kind of news. Totally. So also, why would they sit on it for any other reason? You know what I mean? It's like, everyone needs to know this. Yeah. Everyone should see this. If NASA straight up said, oh shit, there are buildings on the moon, we would all know about that. <laughs> like, just, just landing on the moon, just people landing on the moon for the first time was an enormous deal on its own. So oh imagine God. then exploring the ruins of an ancient civilization on the moon. That would be a huge deal. Right. And that's actually another perfect... We can actually <laughs> hit two conspiracies with one stone right now, which is that the moon landings were faked. Uh-huh. <laughs> If NASA went through all the trouble to fabricate moon landings simply for the sensational quality of it and to gaslight everyone into some kind of reality that within the realms of this conspiracy does not actually exist, why would they not continue to do so with alien megastructures on Mars? Yeah, wouldn't they over time realize, oh, we we got to up the ante here and have more and more stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Instead of being like, okay, well, that's that, and then just kind of die back and let their money just gradually slip away. <laughs> yeah. Bend all of scientific effort and will to get rovers onto Mars just to simply measure soil and <laughs> <laughs> check for water? That's boring, man. So, yeah, this, of course, all leads us back to the biggest why of all, which is why do people believe this kind of stuff in the first place? And I suspect that this may be covered a bit in your segment as well. So I will save that discussion on the answer to that question until afterward. What? Sounds good. My section actually has gone in a much more exciting real science direction after all. Excellent. But I I dare say we could still have that discussion on the allure of conspiracy theories nonetheless. Mm -hmm. Before we go any further... I uh, think I have to mention a new brewery in Western Massachusetts. That, of course, is one that combines. Jake, would you like to do it? Oh, uh, mm, elements of heavy metal. Yes. D and D. Yes. And beer. Yes. To make beer. Some good ass beer. Good ass beer. If you're in the New England area, of course, consider purchasing a brewed beverage from Four Phantoms. Mm-hmm. They uh. Are we still plugging Purple Potion? <laughs> Don't even Why know. Why not? We just did the whole thing on it last week. It's good. <laughs> As you'll have heard in last week's episode, we uh, quaffed no less than <laughs> a Purple Potion by Four Phantoms. It's delicious. It's a berry-charged, super cool, sour experience for anyone looking to have their cheeks squeezed, clean off their face during quarantine, <laughs> but not too hard. 
Um, and if you're a little wary of going out to the stores but are within driving distance of Western Mass, Four Phantoms is available for curbside pickup. And uh, otherwise, do please consider supporting them by leaving a favorable and creative review at untapped.com, U-N-T-A-P-P-D. We will read it if we can find it. <laughs> we found out it's very hard to navigate that site. If you are looking for specific reviews, doesn't matter. You'll still up their profile and help support this really cool brewery with really good people. And they've supported us, so now we're supporting them. But we like them anyway. I'm going to shut up. <laughs> it's all good stuff, and you should like them. And just do it, guys. Do it. Okay, now we can go on. Yeah. For my story today... You'll first want to hear the story of Planet Hunters. Jake, have you heard of Planet Hunters? I don't know that I've heard of that specific term. Uh, I had not myself um, until doing uh, reading, doing my homework for this. What am I trying to say here? Doing reading? Doing readings. (laughs) (laughs) Been in quarantine too long. Um, But right, Planet Hunters, it's pretty cool. Back in late 2010, before... Our planet was literally and figuratively uh, engulfed in flames. (laughs) Scientists at NASA released tons of data from the Kepler Space Telescope. Mm. This is a very high-tech deep space camera that is orbiting our planet um, and thus able to take extremely high-resolution pictures from far, far away. Uh, They released tons of this imagery to volunteer citizen scientists in the public Basically, they're looking for planets outside of our solar system, exoplanets, and it turns out humans are better at pattern recognition than computers. You would think that an AI could just crank through all this data rather rapidly, which Mm -hmm. it technically could, but um, for reasons I do not have the background to get into today, it will make more errors than people. The reason this is important is because in finding exoplanets, what we typically will do is stare at a given star for an extended period of time and see if it dims sufficiently, Mm -hmm. dims and then comes back up in its illuminance, which suggests that a planet has traversed that star. Does that make sense? Yeah. So between our line of sight and that star, a planet has gone by and briefly kind of made a tiny eclipse on it that we're able to measure. Exactly. Brightness goes down, brightness comes back, it's a planet. To give you an idea of just how little change planets typically make, Jupiter, the largest planet in our solar system, crossing our uh, star, the sun, dims the sun by about 1% um, (laughs) when viewed from afar. (laughs) So yeah, it's as simple as that. People are better at this than computers. With 300,000 volunteers, planet hunters cranked. And in less than two years, by July 2012, 12 million observations have been analyzed, leading to the identification of 34 candidate planets, which is pretty cool. But it also led to the discovery of KIC 846-2852, also known as WTF star, (laughs) which, and Jake, I am very excited to now know for certain... WTF stands for Where's the Flux? We've finally figured it out. We finally know. Oh, man. Boy, that was a good, I think, 70, no, 80, exactly 80 episodes in the uh, in the making, that, that discovery. I think <sighs> Where is That Fog, as I recall, was our best guess. What um, is that what fog? Is that, what is that fog? <laughs> 
And uh, yeah, so now all the times we've seen it out there, hey, I got fired, WTF? They're really like, where's the flux? <laughs> so back to KIC 8462852, also even more affably known as Tabby's Star, named after Tabitha S. Bayajian, an American ast- astronomer and lead author of a paper in which this star is officially brought up for discussion. But Tabitha and her colleagues realized about this particular star were highly atypical changes in its luminosity. Kepler telescope revealed small, frequent, non-periodic dips in brightness, along with a few much larger dips in brightness two years apart. And the amplitude of the changes in the star's brightness and the uh, um, what they call aperiodicity, so the sort of irregularity in the timing of the changes, mm-hmm. suggested that there were many small masses orbiting the star in tight formation. Do you Ooh. see where this is going yet? I don't know. The major dips were a big deal as well. The first major dip on the 5th of March, 2011, reduced the star's brightness by up to 15%. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. And the next, which was uh, about two years later, on February uh, 28th, 2013, reduced its brightness by 22%. Oh, my God. Which is unbelievable. It's like 22 Jupiters. Pretty much. For our sun, anyway. For our sun. Basically, whatever is blocking the light during the star's major dips is as much as 1,000 times the width of the Earth. (laughs) Good God. And would cover up to half the width of this observed star. Wow. So, all this to ask, where's the flux is going on with Tabby's star? (laughs) As you might expect, there are a number of promising hypotheses, and perhaps most intriguingly, given what I'm about to describe, none can be explicitly dismissed out of hand. And that will embody a good amount of my segment today. Okay. Buckle up for going to sleep. <laughs> so, first of all, some natural ones. Circumstellar dust ring. 2017 researchers found less dimming in the infrared light from the star than in its ultraviolet light. Any mm-hmm. object larger than dust particles would dim all wavelengths equally uh, when passing in front of the star. So they suggest that only microscopic fine dust screens originating from circumstellar material material going around the star would be able to disperse the starlight in the way that they detected data similar to that observed for tabby star along with supporting data from the chandra x-ray observatory were found with dust debris orbiting another star a white dwarf that also has unusual light curve fluctuations so it is possible that tabby star is surrounded by large amounts of gas and dust possibly resulting from the destruction of local planets. We'll actually get back to this later. Okay. That's one idea. Another is that it could be caused by a cloud of disintegrating comets. This one hinges on a lot of assumptions, including that a planetary system around Tabby Star has something similar to the Oort cloud Mm -hmm. of comets, and that gravity from another nearby star caused comets from that cloud to fall closer into the system, thereby obstructing the spectra of Tabby Star. There is what they describe as an N-type red dwarf star, close enough to Tabby Star to probably have some influence. Hmm. But the concept of comets from such a cloud collectively existing in high enough numbers to obscure as much as 22% of the star's observed luminosity is just tricky to justify. Bunch of comets. Bunch of comets. A little bunch of comets. Another theory, it's just a younger star with a lot of material still coalescing around it. Okay. So astronomer Jason Wright 
joins others in proposing that if Tabby Star is just very young, it may still have this material swirling about, but NASA has found no evidence for, for this uh, coalescing material. Okay. So probably not that. Planetary debris field, kind of what it sounds like. Planet go boom, star get shaded. <laughs> the star may have consumed a planet. Um, as the planet falls into the star, it could have been ripped apart or had its moons stripped away. We'll also get back to this. Leaving clouds of debris orbiting the star in eccentric orbits. It could also be a large planet with oscillating rings. Oh. It could be intrinsic luminosity variations, which is probably the wildest sounding one. Essentially, Tabby's star may exist sort of on the verge between uh, two kinds of heat transport. So basically, mm -hmm. as I understand it, it has been classified as near the boundary between radiative and convective heat transport. Okay. Uh, supported by the finding that the star's observed brightness variations appear to fit so-called avalanche statistics, which are known to occur in systems close to a phase transition. So systems including a star. Uh, these are sort of like mechanical systems, I take it. Gotcha. Won't get too deep here, but basically we expect these systems to vacillate between stability and relative chaos. Hmm. Um, so it may just be a thermal issue with the star. And of course, the one we've all been waiting for, and one that has gotten so much press, one that was entertained even by Boyajian herself during her uh, gosh-danged TED Talk, which blows my mind, which is that Tabby Star is the first evidence of an alien megastructure referred to as a Dyson Sphere. Oh. Now, this is... A bunch of vacuum cleaners, right? Yes. Not, not the same as the uh, Dyson Sphere attached to your vacuum. Rather, this is a sphere, uh, it's a, basically a hypothetical megastructure that uh, would... Proposed by Neil deGrasse Dyson. <laughs> got some good ones today. A Dyson sphere is a hypothetical megastructure that would completely encompass a star for the purposes of capturing solar energetic output. Mm. So, the scale required for a structure of this size would be unbelievable. You can imagine a series of panels, for instance all orbiting a star in roughly a large, for lack of a better term, sphere. <laughs> <laughs> Any one of those components out of hundreds making up the entire structure would span 100 times the distance of the Earth to the moon, singly. Wow. At least. The uh, first description of such structures was in Olaf Stapledon's 1937 sci-fi novel, Star Maker, and it was only later when physicist and mathematician Freeman Dyson, who was the cutest climate change denying actual extraterrestrial and British human skin ever, <laughs> got his hands on them, popularized what we now call Dyson spheres and their variants, which can include swarms, bubbles, shells, and nets. Guy was probably hanging out on the beach. They're basically props in the collective human thought experiment of future spacefaring. Mm-hmm. And Dyson, being the smart climate change denying fellow he was, was naturally bent on figuring out how space-bound futuristic civilizations would harness enough power <laughs> to sustain themselves in the uh, cosmic <laughs> out-there-ness. Might as well skip from A to straight over to, like, QR. Yes, exactly. So they're theoretically possible, I guess, but uh, should go without saying, construction of such a machine is essentially beyond human capacity and according to stein sigurdsson if i'm pronouncing his name correctly um who published in the journal physics 
while the me megastructure remains a valid subject for scientific investigation as a technically falsifiable hypothesis, it is implausible <laughs> and deeply disfavored by Occam's razor and fails to sufficiently explain the dimming. So if you guys forgot, Occam's razor is basically a principle that decrees the explanation that makes the fewest assumptions should be favored over all others. Yeah. Is it an alien megastructure covering up this star built at great cost and great effort by some extraterrestrial civilization? Or is it a uh, planetary dust? So you think about the assumptions involved in those two competing hypotheses. One is that, okay, there's some stuff there that's floating around. The other is that, okay, there was a civilization that was there. Right. One. <laughs> they got really advanced in their technology. Two. Their technology was so advanced and their resources so vast that they're able to build something so much bigger than anything we could ever fathom building ourselves. And then they used that to then make this thing that orbited <laughs> around their star to collect the energy from it. Like It just keeps building and building. The number of things we have to assume for that to be possible gets kind of out of hand. It gets absurd. Which ultimately is not to say it is not an option. Totally. But it is to say that it should be deprioritized when approaching this research. Right. So where's the flux? Is it? It is probably <laughs> actually exomoons or plunets, Ooh. as they were called by the authors <laughs> of a paper published last summer in 2019, uh, which offered plausible scientific scenarios involving large moons being stripped from their planets. But what happens to the buildings on those moons? <laughs> those structures. <laughs> are actually harvesting the energy. Okay. Um, so, as covered by a write-up in Sci-Fi Wire, you can essentially imagine that one or two planets at one time have been orbiting KIC 8462852. One planet orbits a few hundred million kilometers away, just a few times the distance of Earth from the sun. The other, perhaps further out. Perhaps the inner planet has a moon, maybe an icy one, like the big moons of Jupiter and Saturn. And then over the decades, planets interact, the inner planet's orbit slowly gets more and more elliptical, meaning it drops down a little closer and a little closer still to the star every orbit. At some point, it will get close enough to the star that the star's gravity starts to tug on the moon. This is called a tidal interaction, and as the mm -hmm. planet keeps getting closer, the star can yank the moon away from the planet entirely. Sometimes the moon winds up in a stable if close elliptical orbit around the star, and the exomoon itself becomes a kind of exoplanet. So this is where they're calling them plunet. <laughs> or, uh, maybe that's stable, but maybe not. If the orbit is close enough, the star will begin vaporizing the moon. Wow. And this can create a thick cloud of ice and dust around the star, turning the exomoon or planet into something of a supermassive exocomet. The ejected material stays more or less in the same elliptical orbit around the star as the moon, but gets slowly spread out over time, possibly clumping together to form larger particles. And that is the scenario that, as I understand, is most popular for Boyajian's star. In this case, we start with a planet that has a few icy moons. We don't know if there's a second planet further out, but it doesn't matter so much. Over time, the situation plays out where the planet drops into the star, the moon or moons get into their own elliptical orbit and start to outgas and eventually... We have a ring of material that orbits the star on a similar path to the moon. 
Thus, the observed dips in brightness are due to these particles surrounding the moon itself, some of which could be very decently sized. And the very big dips could be caused by the moon itself, or the various moons, as they continue to evaporate, and thus make larger sort of uh, light-blocking profiles than their actual physical, you know, bodies mm-hmm. would otherwise create. And that is what I got. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Jake, I saw you yawning and stretching a lot, which made me <laughs> worried this was boring. <laughs> no, it's just the morning. And, and you know, whoever said it was a bad idea to drink an 11% alcohol by volume beer at 11 in the morning? Because that person was right. <laughs> and, no, that's very cool. I just from the prompt alone, um, alien megastructures. I assume this is going to be much more on the heavier conspiracy side, with people wondering what the structures could be. It's cool to know how many actually grounded in scientific plausibility um, theories there are to explain this kind of stuff out there. So that's pretty mm-hmm. cool stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, it's yeah it's, satisfied it's, to learn. Go on. It's good. It's good to have science on this show about the science. <laughs> on occasion yes but yeah there you go megastructures in space by aliens wtf wtf Where, where's the flux with mark Merritt? <laughs> that's a good one yeah so i guess just to touch back on the thing that i thought we might cover in your segment that turns out i was yes. incorrectly predicting so why would the theory about this being an alien megastructure be appealing to anybody if it seems so implausible and why do people uh, propose so many things about you know stuff that nasa's covering up or evidence Mm -hmm. of aliens visiting earth or living um, among our nearby planets and stuff in secret the government's not telling us why is that such a popular route for this kind of stuff to go and my only thought is that people just i don't know there's something about conspiracies where it just feels good it's a very human thing to want to feel as though you know more than other people know that you have access to this knowledge that is either not common knowledge and or is forbidden knowledge in some way it seems like that's a pretty common route for a lot of conspiracies to go where people are, people just want to have answers that others don't i would agree i think it's that it's it's a sensation of belonging to a group of other folks who are trying to find the truth absolutely and also kind of a sense of mistrust did we already talk about this not not so much no distrust of mainstream science distrust of established institutions scott waring is kind of a perfect example of someone who respects but also mistrusts nasa right Mm -hmm. he is using their data he is using their credibility to support his own argument, but he's simultaneously going like, well, they're the ones hiding the truth from us. That's kind of one of the more fascinating paradoxes of conspiracy theorists is that they kind of center their whole narrative around being highly skeptical. But at the same time, they are unbelievably credulous about really mm-hmm. fantastical things. Oh, yes. That and is, so those two, the marriage of the skepticism for authority but the credulousness of weird stuff is uh it's an interesting combo it is it also gets a lot of energy from our good old friend emotional logic yes i think a lot of conspiracy theories it may not be the water that grows them but it is absolutely the trowel that plants them in the earth which is boredom 
Conspiracy theories are much more fun in general. They're much more thrilling. Yes. There's a sensation of uh, adventure and naughtiness. You are finding the thing out they don't want you to know. You are onto it. You're on the case rather than, oh, these are just more rocky or icy bodies moving through space. Oh, these are just craters uh, and rocks on the moon. Bleh. That feels boring to me. Yeah, and, and there's an element to it that's very understandable, which is the desire for there to still be mystery in the world. And oh, for there absolutely. to be stuff. And that's that's kind of a major focal point on this show, is that a lot of this can feel like it's stripping the magic out of these cool, mysterious things out there. But if you take nothing else away from Super Duper Stitches, it's that the world, the universe, is way cooler than we give it credit for and you don't even need magic and conspiracies to exist or be true for it still to be just breathtakingly amazing that is the absolute truth um and on that note bye no. goodbye okay. <laughs> uh that's yeah that's it for our episode thank you chase for the suggestion very very fun route to take we do need to do more space stuff because it is something we just don't touch enough and uh, if you want to join us next week, we are going to begin August, August Around, around the, world. the World. Uh Not sure where we're going first, but we'll figure it out by then. Please be yeah. joining us for that. Uh, also, yeah, next week, we will be announcing the winners of our little giveaway thing. If you've been paying attention for the last couple of releases, we are trying to push people to keep on staying socially active. So sign petitions, donate where you can, if you can. And send us images or whatever of proof of your involvement, and that'll be an entry into our little raffly thing. Such that you can win a piece of merchandise of your choosing. We've got hoodies. We have t-shirts. Tanking tops. Tanking tops. Perhaps a handful of stickers, if that's your delight. Mm -hmm. Illustrations, artworks, all very fun. And all very yours, if you simply get out there and get participating. Mm-hmm in uh, support for BLM and various other charities and social forward-moving networks that we are hoping can get all the support they need. Exactly. So we will give, we'll close it off. Uh, let's see. This comes out on Thursday. I don't know what's going to come out for sure, but I said the end of uh, July. We're going to give you until the day before our next episode comes out. Whenever that may be, that's the deadline. Oh, yeah. So get out there, get active, and we'll uh, we'll love you for it. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, in the meantime, also, if you feel like throwing us a little reveal on Apple Podcasts, <laughs> we appreciate that, too. Got a super nice one just yesterday, I think, from Sophie in Scotland, or at least in the UK, which, good lord, I think we owe you money now, Sophie. That was a very, very nice review. Yeah, she's our, uh, officially our plant. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> but yeah, thank you very much for the kind words. That helps us get visibility and get more people listening to the show, so we appreciate that. From anyone who wants to take the time. So I guess uh, keep your eyes to the skies <laughs> and uh, goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>